Hello and welcome to another episode in our APW podcast series. In this series, we lift the lid on the box marked UK residential property and have a good old rummage through the contents. Today, the APW property experts Stuart and Callum Williamson are going to be answering questions about tenancies. APW advises expats and others from all over the world and connects them with UK properties. So firstly, hello, Stuart. Hello, Paul. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And hello, Callum. Hello, Paul. Uh, My name's Paul Shearer. I'm a writer and journalist who's been working in real estate for over 15 years. Uh, So tenancies, Callum. Yes, okay, to give you a bit of uh, technical knowledge on tenancies. Tenancies are the contract between the landlord and the tenant and can stipulate very specific details about individual properties. But essentially, there are some standard features that are common to many. There are standard tenancy agreements available from bodies like the NRLA, which is the National Residential Landlords Association. Lettings agents will also have their own standard agreements, but for, uh, for full reassurance... Uh, any landlord or tenant should get advice from a specialist solicitor. Things a tenancy agreement can be made up of. The main sort of things you need in there, the express terms. These will include what is in the written tenancy agreement, if there is one, in the rent book and what was agreed verbally, and then the implied terms. These are rights given by law or arrangements established by custom and practice, but don't need to be written in your tenancy agreement. There you go. Yeah, so uh, we should just state here that none of us are lawyers, I, I don't think. Or uh, did you, either of you train as lawyers? <laughs> Not me, no. In the bar room occasionally, I do get down to being a bit of a lawyer. <laughs> a different kind of bar, yes. Um, yeah, so none of us are lawyers and specialist solicitors are the people that you should turn to. But I was discovered while reading up on this subject that uh, I was surprised by verbal agreements that they're still... Uh, still something that can happen. But it's good practice for a written tenancy agreement to include uh, the following details. Uh, So your name and your landlord's name and the address of the property, which is uh, being let. That's a a good start point. The date the tenancy began. Details of whether other people are allowed the use of the property and if so, which rooms. The duration of the tenancy. If it's a fixed term tenancy, this means the date when the fixed term ends. The amount of rent payable, how often and when it should be paid and when it can be increased and how often as well. What the rent includes, for example, council tax or whether your landlord will provide any services like laundry, maintenance of common parts or meals in some agreements, and whether there are service charges for these. And also the notice period that you and your landlord need to give to end the tenancy. And there are statutory rules about how much notice to give, and this will depend on the type of tenancy and why it's ending. Any thoughts so far from your experiences as experienced advisors on lettings? I think it's crucial to have a, you know, to have a strong lease in place, and then it does need to be properly written and drawn up. Because I think when I first started off my own landlording career, there was about four laws you had to adhere to, and it wasn't too difficult. But I think nowadays there's something like two hundred and fifty different guidelines as a landlord. So getting a, a belt and braces, all-encompassing lease that is signed properly is absolutely crucial, especially if you're working from overseas. You need to, I mean, you can be prosecuted, for example, by for having someone in the house or the flat who's um, illegally in the UK. And you may argue that you didn't know they were illegally there, but you can still go to prison for it. So get it in writing, 
get it cast iron. That's the way forward. Yes, and uh, interestingly, the tenancy agreements themselves, they sit uh, in terms of that express terms and written terms. Tenancy agreements sit within a whole body of other laws. There's the Landlord and Tenant Act of 1954, which sets out the rights and obligations of both landlords and tenants in relation to premises which are leased for business purposes. Uh, There's the Landlord and Tenant Act of 1985, which covers residential thing. The Landlord and Tenant Act of 1985 applies to all private rented homes in England and Wales. Uh, There are different laws for Scotland and Northern Ireland, I think. Uh, This is regardless of the type of tenancy. Uh, The Act covers tenancies of up to seven years if they're fixed term or periodic. And the Consumer Rights Act of 2015 applies to a test of fairness. And I went onto the British Landlords Association website and there was an incredible list of laws that these sit in. There's the Housing Act of 2004, Coronavirus Act of 2020 comes into play, Tenant Fees Act of 2019, the Homes Act of 2018, Housing and Planning Act of 2016, and many, many, many more. I could go on, but as I said, I'm not a lawyer and I get bored easily. So let's go back to some simple ideas. Stuart, this fixed term and periodic term agreements, what does that mean? Well, basically, fixed term contracts specify a length of time for the rental after which either the agreement comes to an end and the tenant leaves or a new agreement is drawn up or with some tenancy agreements it becomes a periodic tenancy. So basically the contract rolls on on a month-on-month basis or rather keeps going from the original contract terms until notice is given to the end of the agreement. Okay, and interestingly, they want to, the government in part of this rental reform bill, which we're still assuming will go through Parliament, but obviously they've got to change their leader first. Uh, they want to move all tenancies onto periodic agreements, but uh, short shorthold tenancies. Callum, what are they? Tell us a bit about those. Yeah, an assured shorthold tenancy or an AST uh, for short is the most common form of agreement in the private rented sector, PRS for short. Uh, It should be used wherever the following conditions are met, and they're pretty broad conditions. So wherever the rent is between £250 and £100,000 per annum, where the tenants are people rather than an organisation such as a company, uh, the property will be the tenant's main home. The landlord does not live in the same property as the tenant and any date after the 15th of January 1989. Yes, so there's lots of info on the government website about the different kinds of tenancies, such as licenses, assured tenancies and regulated tenancies, which are subtly different from the ASTs, these assured shorthold tenancies, as they're called, and they're the most common. ASTs can also apply to rooms in HMOs as well. There is a a separate room-only AST that you can give to tenants. Is that right, Callum? Yes, that's correct, Paul. What about letting to a company or so-called corporate lets? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great idea if you if you can get a good corporate let. Um, we, you know, we work with a couple of developers who have had corporate lets and corporate tenants in the past, and they've been great tenants. Um, I think we did a development in the, I can't remember where exactly, but we had uh, Rolls Royce and Bombardier were in there as corporate lets, and we're doing another development at the moment in Cambridge or on the outskirts of Cambridge. And we have AstraZeneca in there as corporate lets, you know, and and they are good tenants. They're going to pay the rent on time. They're going to look after the place generally. So, um, yeah, if you can get a good quality corporate let, then it's uh, it's a good thing to do, I would say. You should never drive a Rolls Royce when you've had a few bombardiers, though. 
<laughs> didn't you? Didn't you do the bombardier advert? I think I, I, I remember seeing that. Yeah, I might well have done in a distant past. Yes, with Rick Mail, may he rest in peace. So uh, the big area of dispute between landlords and tenants is uh, about repairs. Who pays when things go wrong and who pays when things get damaged? Uh, Stuart, take us through some of that. Well, that's actually one of the benefits of working with a corporate let, just before going on to that, is that normally they will return the property in exactly the same condition as they got it from you. And they will have you know, a team of people who will do it if you look at people like um, Defence Housing Association in Australia, it's a fantastic let because, you know, the forces come in and fix it up afterwards. And it's the same with corporate let. So I would advise anyone to get a corporate let if they can. But tenants have got four obligations under most tenancy agreements. And this is going to be painful for some people I know. Keep their home reasonably clean and tidy. Make sure any electrical appliances they own are safe. Keep any garden or outside area in a reasonable state. <laughs> Not a chance. And then carry out minor maintenance like changing dud light bulbs and smoke alarm batteries. Major repairs. And landlords, they're responsible for making sure that a rented home is free from any health and safety hazards, which basically means there should be no damp or mold because that can cause asthma and the like. No rats, mice and pests. Obviously, that's not very pleasant. Gas safety, you don't want people dying on you. Electrical safety, you know, condition reports have to be done every five years. And fire safety, working smoke and CO2 alarms at the start of each tenancy. And again, that should be in the lease. You know, The lease, when it's signed at the beginning, has to come with a report confirming that all those things have been done. And even going around and taking photos of all the rooms to show you don't have those sorts of aspects is something I would advise to any landlord. But of course, you wouldn't have that problem with rats, mice and pests when they've got their boa constrictor in the house with them or their giant sloth, because now they can bring their pets that they want. It'll be eating all those things. Yes, yeah, so you get a nice um, terrier in there and then uh, no problems with the rats. But all these are statutory obligations under the 1985 Act. What about some of the bigger repairs? Okay, well, the tenancy agreement looks after minor maintenance issues. Section 11 of the Landlord and Tenant Act 1985 lays out the landlord's obligation to maintain and repair a privately rented home. Major repairs include the structure of the building, including the roof, windows and doors, gas pipes, radiators, boilers, electrical wiring, water pipes from the mains and the home and hot water, Sinks, baths, toilets, showers and drains. Common areas like halls and corridors in shared housing. Making good repairs by reinstating and decorating once they are completed. Again, if you have a property that's less than 10 years old, you have an NHBC guarantee. So as a landlord, that will be covered by the actual builder, many of those points. So hence, it's better, especially with the EPC certification coming in, to have newer rather than older properties. Okay. Um, what about damage done during a tenancy? Callum? Uh, well, damage done during a tenancy, uh, the deposit that's put down at the start of the tenancy uh, should cover those. So insurance may cover some things, depending on whether they took, uh, the tenant took out insurance. Uh, landlord insurance also offers uh, some protection. 
the deposit that you put down at the start, that must be registered with an accredited scheme. And this is where you get into the need for checklists at the start of a tenancy, content of inventories, all of that sort of stuff. Um, but there's good general information on that on the Landlord Vision website, which is www.landlordvision.co.uk. Okay, well, as we discussed last week, a lot of this is set to change under the Rental Reform Bill. As I said, one of the main changes was the desire to move all tenancies in the private sector onto periodic tenancies. And the details of what goes through Parliament will be important. And before they do any of that, the government will obviously need to find their new leader. So we'll keep an eye on that for you and maybe return to this subject uh, later on in the year. As we know, Michael Gove was the champion of the rental reform. He got sacked by Boris, almost his last act before Boris too got pushed out by mass resignations. Uh, so any final thoughts, Callum? No, no, nothing serious. Just one, one on changing light bulbs. You mentioned that that was the tenant's job to do. I remember watching a, a briefing, I think it was on BBC, saying that many millennials don't actually know how to change light bulbs now. So changing light bulbs might be part of the tenant's job, uh, sorry, the landlord's job, because tenants no longer know how to do simple repairs like changing light bulbs. So although at the moment it's down to the tenant, that may have to change in the future. Stuart, any final thoughts? Well, actually, just on that comment, I had some clients who had been tobacco planters in uh, Kenya, and they returned to the UK and were in the house, and they were asked to basically maintain it because it was a rented property. And they didn't know how to change light bulbs either. So it was the opposite end of the spectrum. It wasn't just people who are millennials. It was people in their 50s who didn't know how to do it as well. But back to the serious point. The serious point is I would advise any landlord to try and get the, encourage the tenant to maintain the property on an ongoing basis because there's nothing that causes angst more than thinking at the end you're going to get a £2,000 deposit back only to find it turns out to be £700 because all these costs have come out of it to fix things and it just leads to bad temperedness and bad feeling between tenant and landlord. So it's best if you can go in and, and fix it on an ongoing basis to keep the goodwill going. You know, one final, uh, an, another serious thought to add. I mean, it all sounds very complicated and, and perhaps a bit overwhelming for maybe first-time landlords, but, you know, if you use a good management agent, they will take care of all of this for you, you know, and, and they remove the hassle and the stress from it. And certainly if you're living overseas, then you should really be doing that, you know, using a good quality management agent that, that takes the pressure off you. So, uh, yes, it seems complicated and stressful, but if you work with the right people, you don't really have to worry about it. Well, that's a very good point. Uh, and also, I think uh, here's a suggestion for you on your APW YouTube channel. You could do a video, How to Change a Light Bulb. That's all we have time for today. Next week's podcast is a City Watch, and we're going to be looking at Manchester. Until then, it's goodbye from Stuart. Cheerio. And goodbye from Callum. Goodbye, Paul. And it's goodbye from me. My name's Paul Shearer. Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast series produced for APW by Emma Holton at Brilliant Audio. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe, hit like, share it with your friends. If you didn't, keep stum. You can find more episodes in all your usual podcast places.